welcome back again. It's episode 120 of our Brooklyn Bites. I am Stephanie. I am Leon. And we're back from Boston one week later. Yes. Or really it's two weeks. Still recuperating. <laughs> I don't know how your schedule's been, but I snuck in some gaming. Oh, good. In the past week or two. Mm-hmm. How about yourself? Uh, I had some car stuff to worry about before Boston. Car stuff. Yeah, and I was just kind of finishing up some of that stuff, too. You work on your car yourself? I don't know. I don't, oh, okay. Uh, just things that need... I was picturing you on one of those, <laughs> like, wooden things with wheels, like, rolling under the, the car. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't I do not do that, mm-hmm. unfortunately. I don't have a garage to you're, work on my car. When you come out from underneath your car, like, your face is all black because, like, the oil pan leaks on your <laughs> all face. All the grease. Yeah. Right. No, no, just regular maintenance type stuff. Mm-hmm. So that occupied some of my attention. I also went to the eye doctor. Never got a proper eye exam. Is that an Apple authorized? (laughs) (laughs) He checked my retina display. (laughs) Yeah. It was weird because I never wore glasses growing up. And I've noticed lately my vision getting a little worse. So I thought it was time to Mm. get properly checked. And uh, he gave me a recommendation. He didn't give me a a prescription. He gave me just... Because he said he could have. But he said, just try the -the over-the-counter type reading glasses first Mm -hmm. and that's kind of where i'm at i'm gonna have to look into that further Mm. i'm gonna try it out i think they have a little a little test thing that you can do to figure out which one uh, works best for you Mm -hmm. i'm gonna mess around with that and see see what the result is (laughs) yeah that's been the week but i did sneak in some game time too so i'll tell you a little bit about that have you ever played the Atari color vector arcade game called Gravatar. I probably played it in some kind of collection. Mm-hmm. Those Atari's Grace hits or something. Okay. I can't say I'm a big fan of it because I'm not even sure I can think of what the game looks like. Okay. Do you remember if you found it easy or difficult? I don't know if I've played more than like one or two games of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's never been on my list. Of- so you probably never said to yourself, I would like a harder version of that game. I don't think I've had that conversation <laughs> with myself. Right. Well, I played a game that I think is similar. Not really in content, but at least similar in controls and the style of game it is. And that game is Subterranea on the Genesis. Mm. Developed by... Xyrinx or Xerinx? I'm going to say Xerinx. That's Mm -hmm. how I think it should be said. That sounds good. Yeah, that's the dev studio that worked on this uh, and was released uh, somewhere between 1993 and 94, around that time period. Mm. Was that published by Time Warner? I think in the U.S., just the Sega name was on the the cover. Maybe I'm thinking of their other game. Mm -hmm. They did do a couple of other games. Mm -hmm. This one was rated GA for general audiences. Appropriate for all ages, according to the VRC, which was that... The pre-ESRB. The, the, right, the Sega one that they kind of came up with on their own, right? Yeah, because they were getting sued for Mortal Kombat. They're like, look, don't worry, we can police our own games. Mm-hmm. And they created this label on it. The story goes something like, aliens are attacking a mining site due to some vague... Long-lasting hostility towards the human race. There's not really a whole lot of explanation as to where this is happening or why. But that's kind of the general impression. I don't think it's on Earth. I think it's somewhere else. Maybe, mm, I don't think it's on the moon, and I don't think it's on an asteroid or anything like that. I think it's probably just some other planet somewhere. And you get a little simple FMV intro, sort of. You know, back then they kind of faked some light FMV on cartridge games. You got a few glimpses of a few frames of animation. It shows the mining operation being hit and people reacting to that. And you're kind of thrown into the game pretty quickly. Now, you basically have a little ship that you can control and fly through various underground caverns and environments. Controls for the ship are pretty simple. It's just uh, left or right to rotate the ship. You can thrust in the forward direction, and you can also thrust backwards. And you have a fire button and a select weapon button. So, very Asteroids-like controls, if Mm -hmm. you want to compare it to that. Uh, 
Uh, under the controls menu, you can also fully remap all the buttons in the game to whatever control scheme is comfortable for you. And there's even a simple practice mode, which lets you try them out before you start the game. Try out the weapons? Try out the control setup. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can, it's oh. like a little training room. You can Weird. fly the ship around and, and just test it out, see how it works. So the first mission in the game is not too complex. Just to get you kind of used to controlling this ship, uh, you're told the ship is an experimental attack craft that is going to be used to counteract the alien influence. There's a spy group that are your allies somewhere in the level. And you also have to acquire what's called a sub-module. The reason for that is that even though the game has sub in the name, your ship can't go underwater until you acquire these sub-modules. So apparently there is some underwater action in this game as well, Mm -hmm. but you don't uh, get to do that up front. So six are needed to access the underwater alien base. Apparently the aliens are underwater somewhere. And that's where you're going to have to finally confront them. A map of the level is shown during a short mission briefing that's shown in the beginning. It's broadcast through a system called (laughs) SatScan. And you get a version number after that. And they tell you that SatScan is still, we're still working on it. It's not 100% yet. And you see it evolve as you go through different levels. You start to get different kinds of information through it. And then you get a brief animation of the pilot dropping into the ship, and that's when gameplay starts. Uh, I would say the challenging part of this game starts off with you having to conserve your fuel as much as possible. Mm -hmm. You have a fuel gauge, and you have a limited amount of movement that you can perform before your ship runs out of fuel. If that happens, your ship just falls to the ground and will explode. (laughs) So you have to apply thrust in very limited bursts. If you ever played a game like Lunar Lander, or I make the comparison to Gravatar, where you do have that constant pull of gravity forcing you to thrust to avoid crashing into the walls, that's definitely at play here. You want to apply thrust in doses and then allow gravity to carry your ship downwards if that's where you want to go and try to float towards the direction that you want to end up in. There are fuel refills in certain spots, but there's only a few of them, and you have to pick and choose when you pick up that fuel. You want to pick it up when your fuel is almost empty, otherwise the refill is kind of wasted. There's also shield energy to worry about. So you can bounce off of walls. You know, It's not an instant kill if you hit a wall, mm-hmm. but it does impact your shield energy. And... Um, hitting enemies and so on that will incur damage as well there are some levels with shield refills too so there is a chance to get your shields refilled as well now enemies on this first level include laser cannons that can extend on these metal arms to shoot at you closer there's some type of space bugs flying around there's a robot that's walking back and forth patrolling that can also like extend his arm out and punch your ship Um, There's also these automated doors. They're like bulkhead doors that close off certain areas. And you have to shoot them in order to move the door to be able to get past it. But they react at different speeds. Sometimes they move very slowly. Sometimes they move very quickly when you shoot them. And sometimes they move towards you, in which case you don't want to be in their path. They might even impact something that's important to you. Like you might see a fuel refill that's next to one of these doors And then without knowing, without realizing that it's going to happen, you shoot the door and it ends up crushing the fuel module and it wastes it on you. Mm. So you have to kind of learn the levels a little bit to make sure that things like that don't happen. The ship also has an ability called Mega Shot. Mm -hmm. This is a small charge up meter that's in the corner of the screen. Basically, it builds up when you don't fire your weapon. When it's full, the ship will shoot this powerful burst of energy if it's maxed out. And not only will it shoot a a very directed burst forward, but it also sprays out in other directions too. So there's no uh, limit to how much you can shoot, but if you want to save up your really powerful shots, you don't fire for a while and that mega shot will build up. Now, when all the mission objectives are completed, you're told return to base and upon landing, you'll get points awarded for... POWs rescued, and for remaining ships, and for time. It says time, but I don't see a timer on the screen anywhere. So it's, <laughs> it's not visible. 
Is it the fuel count, maybe, is your timer? Since that's the only thing that's really ticking down, sort of? I guess that's possible. Hmm. I didn't think so. Okay. I thought they would label it as such. I thought they yeah. would just simply call it fuel, if that was the case. But that was just pretty much the warm-up for this area. It's not too challenging, even though the game is pretty tough right from the outset. Hmm. Getting used to all of these various factors. Mission 2 introduces some new stuff. This level of the mines has a rail transport system. So there's steel rails that run in different directions throughout the level. And there's nothing running on the actual rail. But what it allows you to do is attach the ship to the rail and then ride the rail to either hold a stationary position or slide along the rail as needed to help conserve the amount of fuel that you're using. Now, I should say, there's never a point where you're not consuming fuel. Even if you're on the rail Mm -hmm. and you're not moving, there's still some fuel being used up. Yeah. I guess your engine is idling and it's eating up some of your gas. Mm -hmm. Even though, you know, you think, oh, I'm going to save some fuel by doing this. The game is tougher than it needs to be and it still eats up some of your fuel for doing so. So on this level, uh, a wall has to be broken through to retrieve the sub-module, as well as um, destroying an enemy that I can only describe as sort of this really high-powered pogo stick. <laughs> it, it's got spikes in all directions, and it just bounces in place in one spot. And uh, there's some important stuff past it, so you do have to try to destroy it to get around it. I would say the rail was pretty useful for both of these scenarios, getting the module and also defeating this stick thing, because you had to hit it several times, and just floating around, it would have been a lot more difficult to try to hit it repeatedly. There's also uh, a new type of weapon that you picked up here. It's a pack of 10 missiles, and also um, you're introduced to the idea of uh, different main weapons that you can use. So you see a little indicator which changes color. And it turns out that that your main weapon can be selected to be either red, green, or blue shots. And similar to like it is in a game like Raiden, for example, where you pick up a green power-up and it gives you a certain type of weapon, or you pick the red or the blue, and it changes the attack pattern into something else. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like that. Usually what it'll do is it will change the level of the weapon, your weapon gets progressively more powerful when you pick these things up. So either you have to decide, do you want to power up your green weapon or your red weapon to level two, or do you want to use this upgrade instead to switch the type of weapon that you're at? So the main enemy of this stage is this really weird looking floating head. Mm -hmm. It's very large and fast moving. It's got three faces on it. And it's got a whipping tail at the bottom of it, which can grab your ship and fling it against the walls. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Didn't that head remind you of... What, did it remind you of anything? What were you going to say? I was going to say Sinistar, right? Oh, Sinistar. Sinistar, yeah. It has a Sinistar-like presentation to it, Uh in the sense that it moves very quickly. It's this big face (laughs) that's that's moving very aggressively towards you. I can see how that's a comparison. I was thinking almost like... A quintesson, but with like flesh yeah, on it instead. I can see that because of the three faces. Sure. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right, because as you shoot it and as you damage it, you see like parts of the face getting blown off, mm-hmm. and then you see like a more metal structure underneath it being exposed. So, and plus the fact that it has like the tail whipping at the bottom, it's almost like their tentacles or something, right? That they float on. Sure. But yeah, I guess either comparison works. <laughs> Each of the two side faces have a unique attack. Like one side will shoot fireballs at you, and then the other side will shoot these homing bullets. After destroying each side, the boss will be disabled. You have to destroy the sides and the tail, and it will end up crashing somewhere in the center of the stage. And that will open up an area on the side which allows access to the prisoners and the submodule, and that allows you to complete that level. It's interesting how it's almost like a boss fight, but like right from the beginning of the level. Almost the first thing you have to do. You can go around and collect some side stuff. It is useful to have missiles at this point, definitely, if you're going to take this guy on. Mission 3 adds some complicated stuff with a mining laser that's firing. There's a big giant laser cannon that's firing in the center of this level. 
And there's a whole procedure with having to recover a reflector mirror that will change the direction of the beams that are firing. You attach this mirror to a truck that's then used to redirect the beam that disables a force field. So then once you get past that force field, you can pick up another type of mirror, which will end up destroying the laser cannon itself. You somehow redirect the laser fire so that the cannon gets destroyed. And once that happens, again, another sub-module and more prisoners that can be recovered. Mm-hmm. And in Mission 4, the briefing seemed to get kind of vague. It starts to not really highlight locations on the map. Because in the previous briefings, at least you got an overview of the map. And it kind of showed you where all of your objectives were. So you had a rough idea of where to go. Mm-hmm. But in this one, it seems like... It started to talk in more general terms. Another thing I noticed it started doing was, even though they kind of explain what's going on in this mission, at the end of the briefing, it sort of broke it down for you and said, all right, here are your three objectives, you know. So the first thing you wanted to do was destroy something called the thing. They don't define what that is. Mm -hmm. They just mention that there is some kind of hostile alien somewhere on this level. Then it says, rescue the combat squad and collect the sub-module. I noticed three layers of parallax background uh, scrolling in this stage. It gives a really nice sense of depth. So I thought this was a, a nice touch. The background changed a bit more in this one. Now it seems like there's more plant life, because before it seemed a little more barren. So maybe we're moving deeper into the lair here, where maybe the aliens are starting to show up in greater numbers kind of a different coloration to the crystals and the rocks. Some new hazards in the form of missile trucks. It's now these large trucks that will fire missiles, as well as dripping acid near the area where I have to pick up the POWs. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't help very much. Mm. The so-called thing was this floating snake. It was coiling around in midair. It had some spikes on it. It looks menacing, but it was pretty easy to destroy. Not really much of a fight there. It probably only took a few shots. Maybe because I upgraded my laser to level 2. Not sure. But then it was on to mission 5, where I'm told a nuclear power plant is about to explode due to alien sabotage. So I have to destroy the fusion reactors in the power plant before they overheat. So I guess blowing up a nuclear power plant is not as bad as it overheating. <laughs> yeah. I guess if it goes to full meltdown, that's horrible. But as long as you destroy it first, you're in the clear. So I have to get this anti-shield weapon first in order to gain access to the plant because the plant has this shield defense around it. Mm-hmm. So you have to pick up this specific weapon first and then use that to disable the shielding around it. The briefing does confirm that the atmosphere will be contaminated by the destroyed reactor. And I will have to use the reactor core itself to destroy the alien saboteur that ended up causing this calamity. So a little more complicated in this one. There's two groups of POWs that I have to pick up. So I pick those up first. I grab this anti-shield weapon to remove that. And the power plant itself is not too hard to destroy. It leaves behind the power core, which is simply this spiky ball that I can pick up with my ship and haul it on a chain. And I end up going to the part of the level where this alien is and end up dropping it directly onto it. The ship felt a little heavier having to carry this core along on a chain. Definitely feels like it was pulling down a bit harder. Mm-hmm. The sub-module was directly below that alien once I destroyed it, so I recovered that and exited the level. On the next mission, the aliens have deployed a robot to this part of the mine that is used for fuel production. So I'm told that this part of the mine creates fuel for our fleet, and it's going to impede our efforts if we don't get it back. So the rail system is back on this stage. It's used to get through some very narrow passages That would be pretty difficult to fly through without getting a lot of damage. Lots of stationary cannons to get past. This robot that I'm told about can jump very high. Mm -hmm. It can jump very suddenly and very quickly. 
he can fire this really big laser blast, and he releases these drones, which will swarm around me and interfere with my flight as well. Very tough to avoid killing the POWs. For some reason, the POWs that I have to rescue are running back and forth under the feet of this giant robot. Hmm. Uh, he's stomping around, and I don't think the robot can squash them, but I can definitely shoot them. If I'm trying to shoot the robot... You can kill your own... And I can ball. kill my own guys if my aim is off or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Defeating this one finally clears this stage. Um, then on to mission seven. The mission briefing is now scrambled. This, I'm told, is due to water interference. I don't know how that works, hmm. I guess. Satellite signals can't penetrate water. Maybe that's uh, a problem. As implied, this zone has underwater passages. Gravity seems heavier in the air, but while underwater, it seems to push in the opposite direction. So it's almost like if I'm flying over the water, I feel like I'm getting pulled down very strongly. But then if I dive underwater, it seems like there's a lot of resistance to me traveling in the water. And it tends to push me back up towards the surface. So... After shooting up several bugs, I find a new weapon called the anti-pressure weapon. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> but essentially what happens is if you select that as your active weapon, when you fire it, it relieves the underwater pressure, and now you can travel freely underwater. But it's temporary. It has a little countdown, and it resets after five seconds. Wow. And this is a bit of a hassle, because you might be underwater... And you fire off this anti-pressure weapon. And now you can move freely. Not quite freely, but a little freer, I should say. Mm -hmm. You still are getting pushed in a downward direction, as if gravity is kicking in. But you select this weapon to do the anti-pressure thing. But then you might have enemies around you. You have to very quickly select your weapon again while under fire. And you don't get to pause or anything to do that. Uh, you might have several weapons, and you might be trying to get to a specific one, and you're juggling, like, the weapon select button to try to get the right one. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, these aliens are just attacking, and, you know, you don't get a lot of chances. I found I just selected whatever was next on my list of weapons, and I used it even if I didn't want to. What were the fish in this game? What were they called? They were in another game, too. With really? With a bulb over their head? Oh, Yeah. Well, I think those are like the deep sea anglers. The anglers, right? Yeah. What game were we just talking about recently that had that? Um, there was something else, right? Yeah, right? I can't uh, think of who it is. There are others, hostile fish, including the anglers. There's clams. Clams aren't hostile. <laughs> they are in They're this game. They're very good with like breadcrumb and uh -huh. baked in the oven. I should have had that as a weapon in this game, but it didn't, it didn't help. So another type of weapon that's found on this level are called tube bombs. <laughs> a lot of alternate weapons to worry about the tube bomb as the name indicates opens up a drain tube that will lower the water level and open up access to the exit so most of the time the water level is pretty high but then once you get this special weapon and make your way to where this drain is you fire that weapon and it empties out the water hmm. the rest of the levels have some element of underwater activity there's actually two more Mission 8, where things get even more complicated, there's now a force field covering the top part of the level. This force field can only be deactivated by following a certain pathway through the rock passages and so on. As if there's not enough issues managing all these resources, now there's an extra thing on this level called the acid meter, which indicates that the ship can take damage for spending time underwater. Apparently this water mm. has a high wow. acidic content and eats away at the ship. So if you dive down, you'll see this meter start to rise. Of course, I have to traverse a very long underwater tunnel to reach the spot where another special weapon can be picked up. In this case, it's called the mirror laser. And that's used to overheat this array of reflectors to open up the exit for this level. So this was really tough. This took uh, several tries for me to get through this level because unless you knew exactly where to go, you wanted to avoid diving into the water and it didn't help with the water pressure thing still in effect. And it was just a mess. <laughs> I really had a hard time with this one. But it sounds complicated. I don't know. I feel like the game maybe went a little overboard with with all of these different like limited resources and meters and gauges and stuff. Mm -hmm. 
But ultimately, in Mission 9, a new item is picked up early on called the Nuclear Crystal. This one grants unlimited fuel. This would have been great to have yeah, for right. Mission 1, <laughs> if that was possible. But at least they made the final mission a little less difficult. Most of this level is in a large underwater area. There's no acid to worry about. Mm. There are two keys that need to be recovered, mm -hmm. and they're used to open up gates while these mini-mechs and giant crabs try to slow me down. Since I picked up the keys along the way to the level, I didn't really see where the gates were. I guess it's possible that you might have gotten to the point where those gates were without having picked up these keys. Yeah, because at no point there's never like an on-screen map, right? Or you can't press pause right. to see like an overview of the map? No, you get like a little preview at the beginning during the briefing, and that's yeah, about it. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, mm -hmm. That's tough. Yeah. But now, if I get through all these areas and I get past these gates, I get up into this big open space, and all of a sudden, a new life bar gets added to the screen, and it's labeled Zvin. <laughs> S-V-I-N. Mm. And that is the big boss of the game. Ah, so it's a boss meter? Mm-hmm. Mm. So he's the full height of the screen. He is like the entire size of the screen. Pushing those megapixels? I guess so. And he is quite grotesque. He is something like a mollusk. His whole body is a giant seashell. But his head is like a green dragon with kind of a fin along the top. Mm. He's got what looks like an exposed spine going down the front of him. His arms are like chicken legs, and he's got a long tail covered in bony spikes that whips around and swats at the ship. Uh, he's also spitting out fireballs and spores that float in the water to block my shots. Mm -hmm. He's also got this weird yo-yo attack. He just flings this thing out that spins out, and then he can pull it back. As he takes damage, little by little... His tail will get blasted away first, and then once the life bar gets knocked down, he explodes, and the shell sinks to the bottom. Mm -hmm. But, of course, he's not finished yet. This red slug emerges from the shell. Wow. He's all fired up and very feisty. He moves very quickly, like rams into my ship continuously. He spews more spores out, and these tiny shrimp slug things. A lot of fish in this game, at least in the finale. But after destroying him again, he goes down in another explosion, and then uh, the game kind of takes over, and then you see uh, an animation of the ship flying off. Another pre-rendered graphics of the ship flying off the planet. Rolls the credits. and hmm. So, nine missions in, in all, including the final boss fight. Which one do you think was the toughest? As I indicated, I think that eight. mission right before yeah, the final the one, eight, acid. Uh -huh. was probably the worst one. Yeah, it sounds like it. But the game was, you know, I guess meant to be tough right from the start. It's not really shy about it. This game is really tough. You're right. <laughs> it's a difficult game. Mm -hmm. I never finished it. Yeah. It took several attempts and reattempts. Reattempts. I'm surprised <laughs> you got through it. Uh I think I made it to maybe stage five. I don't know if I've made it past that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you do get a limited number of ships, and there are like opportunities to pick up one-ups mm -hmm. here and there. But even if you get them all, yeah. it's still tough. There are no continues, right? I don't think so. Yeah. I think that was one of my problems with this game was, you know, I don't mind it being tough, but... Some of the stages required you to play through them a couple of times to get a feel of where the objects were. Right. There's a little bit of memorization involved because there was no on-screen map. Well, because your resources are limited, mm -hmm. you have to know like the most optimal way to get through things. You pretty much have to do it yeah, like perfectly every time. Mm -hmm. And uh, to get to like a new stage and then find out, you know, okay, now I know what to do. And then you have to play through the whole thing all over again. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't find the game that much fun to go through it. Right. I mean, for one, I would say the graphics are good, but they're a little dark, a little muddy. Mm -hmm. And it was also in the time of no analog control, mm -hmm. which in a game like this, I think really could have used. But right. I think it would make the game a lot more easier. Because it's like a rotation-based thing. Uh-huh. A lot of physics and rotation. Yeah, I mean, your ship is constantly being pulled by gravity, and then you're th trying to thrust in very precise ways. You don't want to like overdo it because your ship does pick up momentum very quickly. Mm -hmm. So you'll end up flying into the opposite wall. 
and then your shield takes damage, and then you're using more fuel than you should be. So you constantly have to be aware of all these um, limitations and restrictions. So it is definitely tough in that regard. As far as the team that made this game, they are originally from Denmark and cut their teeth on the Amiga demo scene. You can totally see it. <laughs> it's so obvious the moment you put the game on. Uh-huh. Well, it's got everything. It's got the demo intro screen right. and the music, like everything about it just feels like number 1 like a European style game. Mhm. And number 2 that that demo f- vibe. Yeah, and I I guess because the Amiga used the Motorola 68000 CPU, which was the same processor that was in the Genesis as uh-huh. well. They had some level of familiarity with that. And I guess demos in general, if people don't know what a demo is, mm-hmm. I mean, it's really all about pushing the machine to its limit, to making it do things that you thought were either just impossible or unsupported by the hardware, you know, like these demos were created as just kind of graphical Hard- showcases. Yeah, like hardware tricks. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Like scaling and rotation and, oh, digitized speech. Wait a minute. This machine's not supposed to be able to do that. Yeah, right. Oh, I'm doing video playback on a machine that's only got, you know, 32K of memory. How's that possible? Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. I mean, that was what the demos were all about. And it was really just a way for them to show off. You got demos either on a standalone disc or some demos were included on as intros to pirated games and so on. Yeah, as like an intro to like the group, the hacker group that right. maybe cracked the game. Mm-hmm. So you could totally see that kind of vibe coming through in this game. Yeah. There was one description that said that the team that did this didn't even have an official dev kit from Sega. They sort of just built their own mm-hmm. and just from their own knowledge of the hardware and the architecture. This was the result of it. They went on to develop Red Zone for Genesis after this game. A very similar vibe to it, mm-hmm. like graphically. And- similar type of cover even, like the logo, which was that pre-rendered 3D look <laughs> yeah. popping out of the cover art. And they also did Scorcher for the Saturn. Uh, Xerinx was part of the publisher known as Scavenger, who I think released the game in Europe, although I think Sega published it in the U.S., mm. So it's a little hard to tell. I never saw a scavenger on the cover, but I knew they were the the company behind putting this game out. In the future, Scavenger managed to release a game up until the Saturn era, but eventually they were dissolved and most of the team went on to form a new studio called IO Interactive. And that's the studio that's responsible for the Hitman series of games. Oh, wow. Oh. Now, I should give a special mention for the music in this game. It was one of the first games that made me really notice the type of sounds that the Genesis can create. Uh, At times, I thought I was playing along to a Nine Inch Nails remix album. Right, yeah. (laughs) You know, early Nine Inch Nails, like Mm -hmm. Pretty Hate Machine, maybe. To me, it was a very dark 90s, like cyberpunk type of sound. And that's really the vibe that I got from playing it. Yeah, music's phenomenal. Yeah, so, of course, that's due to the work of Jesper Kidd. Yeah who began a long career in video game music with this. I think this was his second title that he worked on. He's done a ton of video game music and sound design. He worked on the Hitman games as well, as well as Assassin's Creed. Borderlands. Borderlands, many more. Uh, He's Mm -hmm. still active. Yep. So I decided to check on eBay for copies of this game. Yeah. And it is, at least the NTSC version, extremely cheap and common. You can get a loose cart for around $5. Even complete in box are only 5 to $10. New sealed versions were 20 to 30 hmm. I guess it's a pretty common game. Is this one of those games that came with fruit roll-ups? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. Not officially, anyway. Otherwise, I'm going to say open up those games. Mm-hmm. Well, PAL versions seem a little less common. Mm-hmm. Complete copies were selling between 35 to $45. Mm-hmm. So if you like this game with a blue cover instead of a red one, you'll have to pay a little more for it. I was not a big fan of this game. Mm-hmm. The only reason why I actually own it is because of the music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I played a little bit. I just didn't find it that fun. More frustrating than fun. But I would just put the card in and let the music tracks play. Yeah, there is, a, there is a sound option, uh, a sound test menu. Yeah. And some of those tracks are really long. They can go they for... They are very long. 10, yeah. 15 minutes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. They, you think they're looping, but they're not. They, they, they do change. They change in subtle ways, uh-huh. yeah. 
And I always thought it was a nice game to show off what the Genesis can do. Graphically, it was doing some pretty crazy effects for the time. Mm-hmm. And even though the, uh, the game itself was really visually maybe not the most exciting looking, but some of the other things about it are really cool. Mm-hmm. I, I've always wanted to play through it in its entirety. It was uh, definitely a game that did frustrate me back when it came out as well. So I never quite got into it, but I remember the impact that it made on me at the time, and I wanted to give it another shot. One more thing about, interesting thing about this game okay. was when I was making a fanzine in the 90s mm-hmm. at the store I worked at, we did a fanzine, and we worked with Sega, and Sega had this promotion to spread the underground vibe of what their Genesis was, and they reached out to a lot of fanzines and promoting their games. So one of them, they did a contest for Subterranea, was they wanted you to name the Subterranean ship, and mm-hmm. I, I I think it was maybe the initials Subterranea, and you had to like tell them what the S and the U and the B, you know, all that mm-hmm. stuff meant. I, I don't remember quite exactly what it was. Okay. They gave out all these contest coupons to put in your fanzine, and then they picked the winners. And it turns out, oddly enough, in the whole United States, they did this contest. Mm-hmm. The store I worked at, my coworker won. Wow. And it was a CDX. That was the grand prize. Oh, nice. And the, one of the runner-up winners was, as far as I know, Joe Santulli from Digital Press, who mm-hmm. also had a fanzine at the time, which I'm sure a lot of people know about, mm-hmm. and also we're good friends with. Mm-hmm. So, Small World, or maybe we were like one of the few fanzines <laughs> right. who actually ran this contest and were successful like getting people to, to do it. I, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. it is kind of weird that the winners of the contest were the people who you know, were making the fanzine, but right. just interesting fact. and Maybe there just weren't as many submissions as they were hoping for. That's, yeah, I don't but know. But that's cool. I wonder, did they reveal the results of the t- contest? Yes, I, I probably should have had that prepared, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I could post it online if anyone wants. Maybe next week I can follow up with it. Okay, because I'm pretty sure there's nothing in the game that represents... No, the game was out when they did this uh-huh. contest. All right, or, so after or the it's fact. just about to come out, yeah. Mm-hmm. It might have been published in Sega Visions, I'm not sure, but uh, I probably have the answer for that Mm. in one of my fanzine issues. I just have to dig it out and look at it. Nice. Uh Uh-huh. Very cool. Yeah, and there's also, I think, a prototype of this game floating around. Mm -hmm. I remember following the people who made this game online. I don't know if it was during they were making it or, like, soon after. This was probably late 90s, maybe. There is some kind of beta version of this game. That you could play. I remember it being kind of the same. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say, like, go crazy trying to find it. But th- there is an alternate version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I it, may, it may even be unfinished. I, I forget the whole story. It's been so long now. Okay. I, I have some vague memory of something like that floating around. You know, back when I was first starting to collect... Uh, like ROMs and ROMs stuff. And yeah. I think that... Yeah, that might have gotten around I think they released bit. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I to remember I wrote to them about the game too because I thanked them for what they did on it, and that, which was something I did a lot back then. Yeah, that's good. And uh, yeah, and they wrote me a little story about. I don't have the email anymore. Um, I forget if he was through like a message board or something, but they wrote a little bit about some of the, what they went through making this game. And mm-hmm. I just found it really fascinating because it was a small team. I think like, we just say two people make right. Made well, it was, it was a few people, was but it, yeah. But back then, a few, you know, a. a team like that might have been you know like eight people maybe yeah mm-hmm. very cool did you like the game i like aspects of it yeah. i like that style of game um, you do so that's i don't like like lunar lander like i'm not a big fan of uh-huh. those gravity type yeah of games. I, I do like those games okay. so that's one of the reasons i was interested in it gravatar i mentioned mm-hmm. i like being able to fly into tunnels on a on a planet and get your you know caverns your, of mars yeah well sure there was some aspects of that too uh-huh. but i always found uh, the arcade game very difficult because it was instant death if you touched the wall gravatar? So, yeah mm. uh, in gravatar you had to fly into tunnels and recover like like fuel pods and other stuff you had like um almost like a tractor beam that your ship had to hover like hold your ship still long enough to capture this thing and then escape with it without getting destroyed or blown up. And I I could see some overlap with the gameplay style here. 
somehow, in some ways, this game's a little more forgiving just because you have a shield and you can take some amount of damage yeah. before getting destroyed. But but it's also pretty easy to just fall the wrong way. You're up against the wall and you can't rotate to fly away from the walls. So now you're just stuck th- trying to thrust free and then you're just doing more damage doing yeah, that. Yeah, you bounce around or something, like ricochet off a wall. Yeah, so uh-huh. there, are, there are times where you're just, you're, you think you're fine, but then you land just the wrong way and that's it. You're stuck you uh-huh. and then your ship gets destroyed. So yeah, I guess you just have to have a lot of patience and practice. I felt like that game Galaxy mm-hmm. sort of had a lot of the same vibe of this game. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Because you played through both of those within the last Yeah. So. I could see a little comparison. Mm-hmm. Galaxy, I guess, you don't have nearly the, the amount of helplessness that this game seems to really? saddle so you Really? you think Galaxy with. is easier? I feel like you have options in that game mm-hmm. to get yourself out of situations. This one, it's just tough. You, you, everything is so limited. You have to do it exactly right. It's just tough. Yeah, I guess if you don't have anything else, you can move on to your playtime. My playtime was about going inside. Uh Uh-oh. Does this involve surgery? No, no. (laughs) It's a new game called Inside. Oh, Inside. All right. I think I've heard of this. Yeah, it was released this year. Mm -hmm. It's from the makers of Limbo. Mm. You've played Limbo, right? Played it recently, yeah. Yeah. Developed and published by Play Dead. Mm-hmm. You know, if I would say if you played Limbo, you pretty much know what this game is. It is a two and a half D style puzzle platformer, mm-hmm. almost like a follow up or a prequel to the game. And I mean, the moment it starts off, you're this boy, this young boy, and you're running. Nothing to even clue you in on what's going on. There's like I think maybe a title screen. But I'm not even sure there's like a start button or anything. It just kind of like throws you right in. There's no options. There's nothing. It's very dark. It's very gritty. Sort of just like Limbo. You know, Limbo was probably more like monochrome, like very simple colors. Mm -hmm. A little bit more detail here, but still like everything's on the dark and working with shadows. Uh, Really nice effects with lighting Um, when when you're... Because the power like scrolling, when you're walking by like... In the beginning, you start out outside... And if you run by trees, you'll see, like, the light sort of reflect shadows um, on angles as you're walking by it. So it's not, like, a fixed shadow sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's very nice how they do it. There's no dialogue. There's no story. There's no run button, but you're running forward. That's what happens when you move forward. Mm -hmm. I kind of get the feeling a little bit, and, and this is how Limbo, I felt, was, too. If, like, comparing it to a game like Out of This World... Where, like, some of the scenes are almost, like, pre-rendered looking a little bit. And uh, certain things you have to repeat in a certain order. Otherwise, you, you die and you have to restart it. Mm-hmm. So, some, there's some scenes like that. It's a weird game. <laughs> it's uh, weird? It's kind of weird. Like, so in the beginning, as you're running, you don't, you don't know what's going on. You don't know where you are. Um, probably Earth. Uh, that's what I assume. And you're being chased by these guys with flashlights. Um, you don't know what's going on. Are they FBI? Are they some kind of other group or something, but there's not enough detail because the graphics are sort of made to look a little simple. And there's certain points where you're out running them or something and, you know, you jump off a cliff, you grab a vine, you swing across, and now those guys can't catch you anymore. Mm-hmm. And then there's other points where you'll see, like, cars in the background sort of going by or spotlights shining, and you have to sort of walk and sneak between the spotlights as it's going back and forth. There's a little bit of stealth in the game. And then eventually you end up in this base, and that's where the game changes a little bit. Hmm. And I don't want to spoil anything because most of the fun of this game is learning the story as it goes along and, and trying to figure out what's happening here because you're not really sure. Mm-hmm. But like I mentioned, it's puzzle platformer. So in Limbo, it was that was also kind of a puzzle platformer, but I don't remember really interacting with objects in Limbo. It's mostly like solving puzzles by jumping and climbing and things like that. There were sections where you had to push, push certain and things okay. and, you know, like move a cart or, right. you know, like flip a certain switch in the right order, things like that. So I guess this works the same way then. Mm-hmm. So you're doing the same thing. You're doing a lot of some climbing, some jumping, swinging, and then there's objects you can manipulate. And one of them would be, for instance, a crate. And the way it works, I think, different in this game than the other game was this crate would be sort of in the background. So when you walk by it, you can walk right by the crate. But if you press your button while you're 
right, like in front of the crate, you can move it like left or right. Mm-hmm. And you can also, if you if you walk in front of it and press your button, then you can push it. But you can also just walk right through it too, because mm-hmm. it's sort of like that depth to it. Mm. So that's how a lot of the the puzzles are done here. But in the same way as you know, you're dragging things to get to higher platforms and and stuff like that. There is. I'm trying to think if I should spoil it or not, but um, let's just say there are brain-eating worms <laughs> <laughs> that you somehow will figure out what those worms do. Okay. Uh, or you'll put the pieces together and figure it out, and you're you do have some type of mind control aspects, I guess. Sort okay. of. Well, there, there was some of that in Limbo too. If you don't recall. I don't know if it's the same thing as what you're describing and uh-huh. you don't, and you don't have to say it if you don't want to give it away, but, but there were worms that fell onto the limbo character, which would force him to move a certain way. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely a lot of similarities then <laughs> Okay. <laughs> without giving too much away. Mm-hmm. But I remember the first time I encountered this scene, I think it's when you go inside this big mountain base, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is not what I was expecting. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, you, and it, it gets weird. It gets weird. Mm-hmm. So some of the ways you can die, one of the things about also Limbo and this game, Share, are your deaths. And also like a game like Out of This World, very gruesome, violent deaths. Mm-hmm. And especially kind of weird seeing like you're a little boy. Right. Like, it, you know, I think it's it was kind of funny that they did this, but there are parts where like, you know, dogs chase you and... If you don't outrun them, a dog jumps on you and he just starts, like, ripping apart your body. Mm-hmm. Um, this drowning, where you just see, like, this young boy just, like, floating. Guns will shoot at you and you just see, like, your chest exploding or, you know, you hit a, a mine or something and your body parts just go all over the place. Ragdoll physics. Yeah, yeah. Typically, they don't usually show little kids mm-hmm. that happening to, so... It happened in Limbo too. so... Yeah, they definitely, right. So they definitely have that sense of humor. Yes, yes. If, that if dark, you, sort of, macabre. Mm-hmm. The one nice thing, uh, I felt the game was kind of easy, but there are certain points where you, especially, like, I would say three-fourths of the way through the game... There's some tricky parts where you start going underwater and you face this new enemy, which is a little bit trickier, but that's probably the only parts I really had issues with. But the nice thing about it is that when you die, there are, even though there's no like predefined checkpoints, like there's not like a flag that says checkpoint or anything, but when you die, it kind of puts you back like almost immediately when you died. So unless you're in the middle of a puzzle, then it might like reset the puzzle back to the beginning, but... Mm -hmm. They're pretty generous like that, where you could probably play through it maybe in one sitting. I think it took me about four hours to get through it, so probably four to five hour game. Mm-hmm. Not terribly long, but I would say it's satisfying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a point in the game where I felt like, all right, I don't know where this game is going, and it's kind of getting a little boring because I'm doing the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. Because there's no like narrative or anything, there's no dialogue, you kind of feel like it's going somewhere and then you're just kind of like, well, I guess it's not, you know, it introduces a couple of new things, but at the same time, it's like, all right, it's like three hours of running. Now what? You know, but the last hour, it gets super weird Mm -hmm. and it's, it gets really good. I gotta say it's, it's crazy. Uh, I, I heard reviews of this game before I tried not to read anything up on it, but I did hear some reviews on like podcasts about this game beforehand and they all said, it gets weird, and I, I agree now that I know what it is. So hopefully um, you don't spoil it for yourself, because it's kind of funny the way it plays out. Uh, there's also two endings to the game. Hmm. I only got one of the endings, because I didn't know that that existed. So I could maybe go back and play through it again, and you know maybe achieve the second ending, but I don't know if I'm going to bother or not, maybe. It's a simple enough game to play through more than once. Mm-hmm. But I liked it a lot. I thought it was good. Even though I, I thought I was, I th- it was going to be a little bit of a boring game. But it, the twist at the end made it okay. sort of worth it. Maybe they decided to make it a little different than Limbo in that respect. Because I think in Limbo, they weren't necessarily trying to tell a story. I think it was more about the experience of playing the game. Yeah, right. So it almost felt like that. It was like the same thing. I felt like, well, this is like Limbo enhanced or something. Mm-hmm. But once that end happens, and then the end of the game, it's so bizarre and weird that the way the game ends, 
it's up for interpretation, basically. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where it's like, uh, I don't know, like, what is this game about? Like, I don't even understand what's happening here, so... Okay. It's not even, a, like, a very definite ending, the way they kind of left it open for you to kind of make it to what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting game. It's definitely on my wish list. Is it? Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, well, it's been a while, I think. How long have they been working on this game? Probably, like, five years since Limbo. Wow, right? has it been that long? I think so. <laughs> At least. Wow. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess give it a try when next time you see it on a sale or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's it. And what system did you play on? Oh, um, I think I played... Yeah, I bought it on PS4. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, but it's out on, I think... It's on PC, I think, maybe mm-hmm. Xbox? Most current systems, Ooh, right? Yeah, probably. Mm. And I don't think it's on any of the mobile platforms yet. Right. Cool. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to see what the mysteries are. Yeah, don't, don't spoil it. Don't look up any videos. <laughs> I won't. Yeah. So how about any mystery pickups this week? So you're on a roll, right? In what sense? About a year, maybe, worth of pickups every week. Uh, continuous of, pickups? Of new, new products and I don't new, know if it's been a new toys. full year, but it's been frequent. I yeah. decided to take a break this week. Take, what do you mean take a break? I, I don't have any earth-shattering pickups to discuss, but maybe you'll you pick up the down. slack in my place. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that Boston trip really hit you hard. <laughs> You picked up a lot of stuff, mm. whereas I did not on the Boston trip, but I did this week. I acquired some new things. Okay. And I will talk about a few of them today. One of them was actually a birthday present from one of our listeners and friends. Wow. Raul Angel is his name. And this one is actually kind of impressive. It's a Pac-Man statue, I guess. What do you call those things? A bust, maybe? It's, it's a statuette. It's okay. <laughs> it's some kind of thing so that you put on your shelf, but it's big. It's 17 inches tall. It's a giant Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. It's made out of some kind of resin or porcelain or whatever. I'm not sure. It's very heavy. And it's from a company called First Four Figures, but it's four as the number four. Mm-hmm. Get it? Right. So the figure is a limited edition. It does have a number on the box. And there's two versions of this figure. I have the basic one, but there's also a uh, special edition. It comes with like a little cherry that sits next to Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, it's the same exact figure. And it's just Pac-Man like sort of in a pose. It's like the Japanese style Pac-Man, you know, with yeah. the arms and legs mm-hmm. that we know from like more of the modern style games. Not much more else to say about it, I guess. I don't really have space for it at the moment, but uh, at some point when I have more room it's gonna go somewhere your trophy room my trophy room sure Mm -hmm. Uh, an interesting note about this is that it is not licensed for sale in japan Mm. which i found a little interesting okay Uh, i don't know i don't know why but i suppose uh, i don't know if the japanese have their own ideas of what pac-man should look like or yeah maybe they already maybe they already sold that license to a different company yeah that's true that could be and that's thus unavailable Mm -hmm. perhaps I also got a Pac-Man Arcade Marquee. That was also from our friend Raul Angel. This one is not an original marquee. It's a, it's a reproduction, which I didn't know this even exists, but apparently where he got it from, this guy makes repros of the actual arcade cabinet marquees. So I already have, actually, the original like Pac-Man ar- marquee. It's a little mm-hmm. bit scratched up. It's not perfect. Right. But um, this new one is mint. It even has a like protective coating on it so it doesn't get scratched until I'm ready to put it out. Mm-hmm. Now, people might wonder, like, what do you do with a marquee, I guess? <laughs> right. right. And I don't even know. That's why I have them in a Tupperware underneath, you know, my bed. <laughs> I think that's where they are. Uh-huh. I think I have a Popeye, Pac-Man, Qbert, and maybe one other. I forget. When I first got them, what I used to do was I used to hang them on the wall. Mm-hmm. I bought these like little spring devices that you use to hang plates. <laughs> I know people sometimes hang plates on the wall. Oh, that exists? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like decorative plates. Yeah. So um, those work on marquees. So that's what I used to use. Mm. And I used to hang them up. But I, I know some people also create these light boxes. Sure. And you can build these things and, you know, create like a LED lights in the back and mm-hmm. do that too. But, you know, again, I don't have space for this stuff yet. It's cool that they do it. 
Right. You know, now that I know that people kind of make reproductions of these things, there's probably, like, I should make a list of <laughs> some key marquee artwork that I like mm-hmm. that I wouldn't mind owning at one point and displaying. Right. Well, you also had a MAME cabinet at one point. I did, but it wasn't made to specs of the Art so, Pac-Man. I see. So that wouldn't have fit? No, because my, my a Pac-Man machine is one player, mm-hmm. and my art, my MAME cabinet was two player, mm-hmm. so it was much wider. I see. Okay. But, yeah, and I got one more thing, and this was at our NAVA meeting mm-hmm. that we went to, and that, again, is the Northeast, no. right, no, North Try Atlantic, again. North Atlantic video game aficionados. Uh, I thought it was avocados. <laughs> uh, it depends on the day of the week. Okay, all right. <laughs> You'd think I know. I've been going there for mm. close to 10 years. Well, now it's much easier for people to say. Now it's much easier, it is. But, yeah, this is our classic gamer meetup, and there was a big dual stick joystick on the floor and surprisingly it was priced at $20 mm-hmm. uh, I thought when I looked at it from afar I, I thought it was $200 it was $199 right. but then when I, I got closer to it I was like oh no that's $19.99 and immediately picked it up mm-hmm. so this is a Hanaho hot rod and this was I don't know if anyone remembers these but these were made in the I believe it was the early 2000s mm-hmm this was actually on my wish list for a long time. I always wanted one of these things. Really? Yeah. So to see one now, uh, I was actually like blown away. I was like super excited. So the Hanaho controllers, mm-hmm. it was a start off by these two guys, Tony Hana and Conway Ho. That's okay. the, the Hanaho. And uh, yeah, and they started off making, the, making these like sort of home professional style arcade sticks. Yeah. But built for MAME. This was. At a time where emulation was pretty big. It was like starting to take off and yeah. get popular. People wanted to create MAME cabinets mm-hmm. and sort of recreate that arcade experience at home with real joysticks. At the time, there was no Mad Cats making joysticks or, you know, no one knew what a Sanwa was or uh, a Samitsu. Like, those weren't really things talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, there were a couple other companies doing stuff like this, but Hanaho was, I guess, maybe someone who advertised a little bit more. And also, I think it was before X-Arcade also, which X-Arcade is almost the same exact mold and style mm-hmm. as this, only X-Arcade goes with the black look. But the Hanaho Hot Rod was um, like a blue. It has their name on the front. It has uh, two sticks, six buttons each. It has the player one, player two, side buttons for pinball. Mm-hmm. And my only complaint, like I always complain about, is the sticks are the bat top uh, eight-way sticks mm-hmm. no restrictor or anything and, and i'm not a fan of those joysticks right so i will have to do some modding to it <laughs> uh it's also only ps2 connection right so pc the, ps2 style oh right, right, right yeah sure, not, not playstation 2 right yeah, right pc PS, ps2 ps slash 2 i think correct it is, right yeah and i wasn't a big pc user so they were, they were called that because that was the ibm ps2 line that introduced that connector yeah, and, that, and that's how it became kind of standard for a while. And, and they use that connector because the encoder and the joystick uses key commands. Mm-hmm. It sends keystrokes right. to the game. Mm-hmm. Same way the X-Arcade does. Right. But I guess it was maybe pre-USB or something. So mm-hmm. uh, pretty interesting. Um, another thing about the company that made this, they're more noted for probably, in addition to their home arcade cabinets and joysticks, when you would buy their joysticks, they would give you, like, a starter pack of ROMs. Mm-hmm. And one of them was called Arcade Legends 2. And this was, like, a version of MAME, like a fancy front end. And it would have built-in ROMs. In this case, uh, Arcade Legends 2 had Capcom ROMs. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the selling point. You're going to get this joystick, and you'll have, you know, whatever, 20 or 30 Capcom ROMs to play. Uh, so, I guess Capcom didn't know about this, <laughs> because... Uh, I don't know the details of the lawsuit, but they got sued in 2007 mm-hmm. for distributing these this disc of ROMs. It's funny because you would think like, oh, if they're distributing these ROMs, this must mean that I'm getting a legal copy of these games. That's what I would think, yeah. I mean, XRK did it with, the, I think, the Midway games, and mm-hmm. as far as I know, they still do that. I don't know about the details of the lawsuit, but the case was dismissed a year later. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure for what reasons that happened, but the company did officially shut down by 2010. Mm-hmm. So I believe they kind of shut down a little bit before that, but they took their website down in 2010 and they said they'd be back and they never came back. So, (laughs) 
I, I don't know where they are now, but uh-huh. they haven't been around for a long time. Wow. Yeah, I, I remember wanting a Hanaho Hot Rod for many, many years, and then I found an X-Arcade probably... Well, that was probably like mid-2005 or so, mm-hmm. I'm going to say. So it wasn't that much later, because I think I built my main cabinet in 2001. So that was around the time I needed a controller for it, and I didn't have it. So I ended up buying a, that Blaze 2-player control stick. So some interesting pickups for me this week. Very some nice. surprises I didn't expect. <laughs> Good variety. Yeah. Not bad. So how about any feedback this week? Oh, sure. Was there any? And you know, we're probably going back a few weeks now because we sort of kept it to just PAX News last week. Mm-hmm. And then we took a week off for snow removal. <laughs> and then... Right. Well, we can start off with a comment on our PAX episode from Raul Angel, who says, That was a great podcast, guys. A lot of great information. Sounds like you guys had a blast. It's too bad they didn't have a really good quality arcade there, however. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thanks for the comment. And it's true, there was probably more stuff going on there that we could have possibly covered. The stuff we talked about was just a mere slice of what was going on there that whole weekend. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess the arcade is kind of missed. It's been missed for a few years now, just because it hasn't been the same without that true classic arcade that they had a few years back yeah. where we finally got to see a real life cliffhanger arcade game, which we had not seen before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or at least I haven't seen. I'd be curious to know if anyone really does miss the arcade though. I mean, we're retro gamers and stuff. So, yeah. but I think we're in the minority of the type of crowd that that place attracts. Mm-hmm. So well, I'd- I could say that I did check the PAX East feedback thread on their official forums, and I did see it mentioned a couple of times. People did notice that that was not there. Mm. Again, those people could be outliers compared to the typical attendee. Yeah. You know, they could be someone like us who takes the time to fill out a feedback thread (laughs) and give their opinion on these kind of things. So, uh, yeah, I suspect... You know, maybe it's not something that someone knows they're missing until they see it. Because I think when they did have these rooms, they were pretty well attended. I think we never went in there and it was like kind of empty. I mean, it was always yeah, something going I on. Think, well, I think the last year, that last arcade room that mm-hmm. we complained about, right? that was sort of sparse. Mm-hmm. Both in arcade machines and customers. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I think people were caught, caught on to it. They're like, this isn't the real deal. Yeah, this is not an arcade. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically, it was almost like a vendor masquerading as an yeah. attraction, you know? Exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I guess, you know, we'll see what they have in store next time around. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I guess if you really want to bundle in a good arcade experience in with PAX, I mean, there are options. I think there are a couple of barcade-like places in Boston nowadays, as well as the place that these arcade machines originally came from, which was the Fun Spot Arcade, which I think is maybe about 90 minutes from Boston. I mean, it's obviously a trip. Is that New Hampshire? I think so, yeah. 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 It's supposed to be really good. Huge, three-story arcade, hundreds of machines. It's a pretty big place. Uh, All right, so I guess we'll go back to feedback on episode 118, where we talked a little bit about Bloody Wolf, game that I played. Greg Izzy wrote in and said, Bloody Wolf, great game. Just played it. Had to stop at stage three. The bridge crossing is just a pain in the butt. Greg also mentions that the mystery minis are something that he loathes as much as Funko Pops. Yeah. So well, I loathe the concept. I hate the concept of blind boxes. Mm-hmm. To me, it's just anti-consumer. Mm-hmm. And it just annoys the heck out of me, but that's why I was glad I was able to buy a full set. Just all in one shot. One shot, so I knew I was getting one of every character. I didn't have to play any games of guessing of which character I'm getting. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the blind box concept appeals to young kids, maybe, where they're buying a few, and then their friends buy a few, and then maybe you trade the ones that that your friends don't want with the ones that you don't want, and that kind of a thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess the equivalent to that was when we were young, we would put quarters in the capsule machines, you know, mm-hmm. and a little plastic capsule rolls out and sure. it's like, oh, this isn't the one I wanted. And you put uh-huh. another quarter in, oh, I got the same thing. <laughs> right. You know, and it's like, I want that thing that I can see, yeah. you know, in the machine, but you never get it. 
or you know it's like baseball cards whatever you, you just right get, random you, just, you get yeah. a pack and you don't know what you're gonna I get suppose. right and if you're going for the full set you're gonna have to buy a few uh-huh now if he's loathing just the concept of all the artwork of funko pops mm-hmm. uh I, I could see that i'm not a big fan of those either it reminds me of the beanie baby craze of the 90s sure which were gigantic huge you know i don't, I don't remember anything being as popular as mm-hmm. that that bubble burst eventually. It, it did, and this will too. I suppose it might peter out at some point, uh-huh. but they seem to have their hands in so many different licenses and properties. It seems like there's something that will get you, even if you're resisting. Yeah, right. <laughs> eventually, they are pulling it off somehow. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, all right, we have also had some comments on episode 117, where I talked about some magic games that I played. Okay. Greg Izzy also writes in to say, finally, some game reviews I can comment on because I've played them. (laughs) The Magic games were always great. The sprite designs were leaps and bounds over the competition. Firefighter was the first new 2600 game that we got, speaking from his own experience. Mm. He says specifically picking Firefighter due to the graphics. Well, bad choice because the control and difficulty of the game was pretty bad. Working the ladder is just plain awful. <laughs> so I can see that Greg didn't have any luck with the ladder either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that was one of the more frustrating aspects of that game. He also goes on to say, Laser Gates is a terrific game, an early forerunner to Gradius or Salamander. I guess that's true for the Atari. You think so? You really didn't have any other games like that. Vanguard? Vanguard was perhaps I don't a know similar if that came out later or mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah, it feels a little earlier maybe, but... Flash Gordon? <laughs> to some degree, yeah. I think so. Uh, he says, though somewhat difficult, the variety sound graphics really stood out. Uh, he co- also comments on the other games. Fathom and No Escape are graphically nice, but kind of <laughs> kind of dumb. Kind of dumb, okay. Yeah, I-, I thought Fathom had some potential, but it really got kind of tough for me, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. No Escape. Uh it's still a mystery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Earl Grey also commented and says, I second Greg in my opinion of both Laser Gates and Firefighter. One of my friends and I made a dive into the 2600 library. Laser Gates was an unexpected favorite. And Firefighter was surprisingly dull. Mm. So it seems like that impression is shared man. by many. Yeah. I thought a Magic's output was good on the 2600, but great on the Intellivision. And after emulating the system, I bought a console in part so we could play Magic's games in person. Uh, I'm aware of some of the games they made for the Intellivision, but I don't think I've put much time into them. Is it on the plug-and-play Intellivision? Uh, I'm going to say no, just because I believe Activision owns the Magic library at this point. Mm -hmm. So we're Mm -hmm. not going to see those on there either, unless some kind of deal is struck (laughs) yeah they're keeping them in the vault for now right i think i will check out the intellivision games at some point they're definitely unique enough yeah to warrant a you think so good luck i think so yeah Yeah, why not okay (laughs) that controller though we'll work on that it's got it's got buttons on a keypad Mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm it's like playing on a telephone (laughs) yeah (laughs) thanks as always guys for the feedback Mm -hmm. very good to hear your thoughts on these games as well so if you haven't already, you can visit us on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash ourbrokenbytes. You can also email us at obbfeedback at gmail.com if you really despise Facebook, as some people do. Mm. So I guess with that, we'll... Uh, See you next week? Yeah. Okay. Okay.